When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, we talk with author and survivor J.D. McCabe about abuse and his book, The Third Gift, My Dance with the Devil and Her Mother. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and with me today, we have J.D. McCabe. How are you? Good morning. How are you, Brandon? Thank you for the opportunity to be on uh, on your podcast. I truly appreciate it. Well, thank you for being here. And you wrote a book called The Third Gift, My Dance with the Devil. Everyone can go pick it up on Amazon. And if you go to Amazon, you'll see it has a ton of reviews, a ton of amazing reviews. And your book, your story is one that is on the higher end of the spectrum of danger, uh, not just to your uh, life in the sense of emotional abuse and things along those lines, but your life was in danger and you didn't it would know it. And, and these are one of those stories where, you know, it's going on behind the scenes and you don't know a lot of the time what is actually happening. Your world has been destroyed. So thank you for being here to share with us um, your story, your life, uh, what you dealt with, how you got out of it. So, J.D., Let's just go into first what we usually do when we talk to survivors. What was your childhood like? My childhood, I come from a large, a very large family, uh, German, Irish, Catholic family, family of nine. I've got five brothers, three sisters. Now we have, you know, upwards of uh, 28 grandchildren, probably eight or nine, you know, great, great grandchildren. Childhood, was I was the middle child of five, and, I, and as I've gone through when I was going through therapy after dealing with my ordeal, that was one of the things that was brought to the surface as a middle child or as a five of nine child that you're often a pleaser. You know, you're an independent thinker, but you're a pleaser. Uh, you have a strong need to be needed. And I think that was a hook that my, my ex-wife uh, gravitated to and, and jumped on. But uh, I would say very happy childhood. You know, you have your normal dysfunction when you're raised in a family of nine, but my parents, um, rest their souls, they're both gone now, um, but they were selfless to the core. Everything they did, they did for us. We didn't have everything we wanted, but we had everything that we needed. And like I said, I would say that uh, it was a very well-adjusted, normal normal childhood. Yeah. Were you a confident person? Yes. Yeah, very, very much so. Yeah. And as far as your beliefs in uh, marriage, relationships, and things like that, what were they? Raised a Catholic, uh, still a practicing Catholic. Um, you know, my, my parents were both very strong in their faith. They had some things that they dealt with through their childhood, some very traumatic situations that they leaned on their faith, and it was something that I would turn to as as my days turned dark. Uh, but my, you know, my thoughts on relationship and marriage is, you know, when you say I do, you say I do for the rest of your life. Um, you work through whatever difficulties you may have. My parents had some difficulties in their in their marriage separated for a handful of years and reunited and ultimately were married for you know close to 60 years 
And, um, you know, they, they led by example, showing that, you know, work through your differences. Uh, with, with, there's certain exceptions, of course, to that. But uh, infidelity is a deal breaker. And ultimately, that was the deal breaker for me. The intervention from God above to say, hey, you know, your marriage is, your marriage is over. You know, your wife has been out cheating on you. And we can talk about how that, how that discovery was made. But I was a strong believer in uh, monogamy, strong believer in loyalty, fidelity, and um, she didn't share those same sentiments, unfortunately. And, you know, you come from this upbringing. You are, may, I don't know if it, the word sheltered is a good word, but you don't know, I assume, that evil exists outside of movies or what right. we see on the news. <clears throat> correct. Correct. And, it, and that's, that's a, it's a, a great, great comment. You're right. I, you are somewhat sheltered, certainly as a child, but even in, in, even in my adult years, you know, you see all the adversity and the tragedies and I don't even watch the news consistently anymore. Um, but yeah, and you, you never, it's like anything else. You never expect it will happen to you. And it was one of the hardest things that I had to get my head around was that, oh, my God, how did, how did she become this dark? Was I truly married, sleeping with the devil? And, and, and the answer to that question is yes. And so the subtitle of my book, The Dance with the Devil and Her Mother, it's, it's no joke. It's not a catch to try to get people to buy the book. It, it's, it's the truth. And I had to work through that to go, oh, my God, what, what the heck happened? So when you eventually do meet this person, yeah. um, what is the biggest thing that you like about them? And what do you think um, they fed into you that, that was a big seller for you? A couple of things that attracted me to her is that she was fiery. You know, she was had a little fire to her when we first met. Um, and this is a red flag. I probably should. I know it's a red flag. I should have dug in. When we first met, I found out that she had previously been married for eight weeks, according to her. Never moved in with a guy. He was 11 years her senior. He had a daughter. Um, and one of the things that kind of admired that I admired about that is that she had been allegedly had been through some difficulty, yet picked herself up. You know, was heading towards back back to college. Was dedicated to completing a very intensive um, medical program. Um, and so I saw the drive, the motivation. You know, I admired that about her. And as far as uh, you go and being a people pleaser, were you? did you have like the shared future? Uh, did you have, was she overdoing things? Uh, was there a way where you, like a point where you just like, oh, this person is on the same page uh, in, in that sense. And was there any, um, I guess thing inside you or whatever holes were inside you of any sort that she was seeing and being able to fill that no one ever saw before to like make you feel special or anything along those lines? But I don't think that there was anything. I've always gone into relationships with the mindset that I'm not looking for someone to make me happy. I'm looking for someone to make me happier. But I, I didn't rely on anybody for my happiness or my emotional. So I don't think that there was any type of hole that she could fill. But call it a mistake or what you will. For, for any younger folks that are listening to this, and I counseled a lot of, I've counseled a lot of young folks that have reached out to me. I said, One of the mistakes that I made is I put an age on it, right? I was 26 when I met her. We married when I was 28. I started looking at my family, my siblings that are married. Everybody's building families. I enjoy being with her. I felt that I was falling in love with her and um, figured, you know, why, why not? Let's do, let's, you know, let's, let's do the marriage thing. Let's begin to build a life together. Um, but, you know, in hindsight, I do look back on that as I'm driving to the chapel to get married. You know, call it cold feet or what you will. But I had this feeling in my gut that said, are you ready to do this? And of course, I felt it was too late to back out. And, and quite frankly, for 17 years of our marriage, things were reasonably happy. You know, that was my lens. That was my perspective. And we had two beautiful children. Um, you know, we built a nice, you know, we built a nice family unit and things were stable. I mean, we very rarely argued. 
And I think this is one of the things that blows my mind when I allow it to creep back in these days because I have moved on is how did, how did she keep all this at bay for 17 years? You know, why, well, how did she keep these things all locked up? And I have a theory as to why that is. And I talk about that, talk about that in the book, but, uh, yeah, it really kind of caught me between the eyes when when things really started to spin out of control, you know, and, and folks on social media platforms or whatever, if you haven't lived it, you, you don't believe it. So I hear from a handful of folks that, yeah, right, this came out of nowhere. Well, in fact, it, it did. It came out of nowhere. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And for you, I mean, you're pretty healthy going into this in the sense of you have boundaries um you have a good sense of self and it's your belief system that gets you in in trouble you know you have a little bit of uh a siren going off or your gut feeling but your belief system of life and like i get married at this age and this is what these things are and you know once that is said marriage i once your i do's are said you know you're in this Right. And and that is that, and that's you know you can have all of the the, the greatest boundary system around, but if you have a uh, a belief system that can override everything, right, right, then it just takes over. So you said like everything is good for a very very long time, and you're suspecting nothing. So were there? In hindsight, are there red flags for you or you're just like one day of flip, sorry, a switch just flipped? Yeah, I think, there, I think you know, again, you, you, you look back on it, you evaluate the situation, you look at the accident after it happens to find out what went wrong and what could have been done differently. And um, the, there were some red flags. There were some things. There were some insecurities. Uh, and you, you guys talked about it. Um, on, on one of your podcasts with, with Vienna, which again struck a chord with me, regardless of how many times I would tell her how beautiful she looks or how nice she looks in a particular dress or what so forth, so on, she would later start spinning that to say, Yeah, you say that. And then you turn around. One of her phrases that she started to throw at me is you turn around and you Google other women. She would falsely accuse me of checking out other women, whether we were at a baseball game with our kid or at a school function or whatever, if I said hello to somebody who was nice to a, a you know a female individual, then that, that would, lay, on, on occasion, that would be thrown into my face. So looking back on it, I started to see some of the insecurities uh, that you guys have talked about. And during your whole process, did you think that this person has a personality disorder or it's just this is who this person is? No, I think there was some, there, and this is the other complicating factor of my story. So they would believe, they would come to later believe that she has, you know, borderline personality disorder. On top of that, though, I would also discover that more than likely she has Munchausen's or factitious disorder. Yeah, it's also known as now as factitious disorder, when okay. you believe in your mind that you have something wrong with you. And so... I say that complicates the situation because as things would begin to unravel, I would see things, I would see signs, not only mentally, but also some physical signs in the, in the female region, if you will. And uh, I would chalk it up to an alleged autoimmune disease that she would claim to have for 16 or 17 years. Um, so by, from a Munchausen's perspective, she enjoyed going to see specialist after specialist after specialist. Um, and as we worked through our alimony trial and medical records being subpoenaed, and I, I never asked to see her medical records, um, but I, it would come to find out that a very prestigious clinic, two visits to a very prestigious clinic, said, no, she does not 
have an autoimmune disorder. It's all, it's all in their head. But for years, the first 16, 17 years of our, I would say that skip the first three or four years of the marriage, I think starting in, in 2001 is when her journey, her medical journey began, that she had something going on with her. And uh, I'm in the pharmaceutical medical field. I had access to, to lots of physicians to talk to them privately as I would begin to question things that were going on in the marriage. And they'd be like, yeah, you know, with an autoimmune disease, yeah, it can attack your brain. It can attack your neurological system. This can cause her paranoia. This can cause her delusions. Um, so when I would give her compliments, it would be, it was, as, she start, as she started to get sick, um, and she would lose her hair and certain things would happen. Um, but I would later discover, I would later discover so many things that, that, that the hair loss and some of the other medical symptoms, physical symptoms she was experiencing were more than likely due to the multiple STDs that she had contracted outside of our marriage. Okay. And as far as uh, manipulation tactics that were used against you, uh, within the relationship, um, I guess, what were a handful of them? What were the most interesting ones, would you say? I think the most interesting, I mean, that she was a master manipulator. So I guess I'm a classic survivor of, uh, I'm a survivor of classic gaslighting and projection. But 17 years into our marriage, kind of out of the blue, if I'm not traveling, I work from home. I've been a, a salesman for 30 plus years. Um, she, would, she started accusing me, I'll, I'll speed it up a little bit, but she started with the accusations of infidelity. She had lost her father, and that's the complicating factor. That's the tipping point. That's the other complicated piece is that her father came out of the closet when she was two years old and accepted his homosexuality. Her parents divorced. She would maintain a very positive and very close relationship with her father up until her first marriage fell apart. Once her first marriage fell apart, I would later find out that from my ex-wife that he took in her ex-husband. Her father took in her ex-husband. I confirmed that once I started digging into everything after we separated, that indeed her ex-husband had lived with her father and his life partner. And so um, she was in therapy once her father passed away. She had been estranged from her father for 10 years. And through the innocence of our son, who was five or six at the time, it said, hey, why don't you just call Grandpa? They knew about Grandpa. They had never met him. And she called him, and they reconnected for four or five years, and I would describe it as a superficial relationship. There was no discussion about what happened in the past. I never had a conversation with her dad about why they were estranged for 10 years. I kept it high level. I didn't want her to get hurt. But uh, they reconnected, and then he had a massive heart attack. I truly believe that that was the tipping point for her. Two years later, his lifelong partner also passed away at a relatively young age, and I would later discover, Brandon, that that's when her hidden prescription drug addiction began. So she's in therapy, I think, to deal with the trauma of her father's death, and it was then that, that she would pivot that, that her therapist that she's seeing thinks I'm cheating on her. She needs to have access to my emails and to my phone and and, of course, I would become defensive. Uh, I wasn't hiding anything, but um, I gave her access to it. I never had a passcode on my phone. She knew the password for my personal email. She had access to my work email. She wanted to go through that. But I had absolutely nothing to hide. So those subtle accusations would, would happen, you know, every now and then. And then it wasn't until the spring of 2014 that things really heated up. And whatever she was telling her mother a woman that I unconditionally loved for 23 years, never had a cross word with, she would later turn on me like a cobra. So it would it would pivot from um, infidelity to drug addiction. And so I was addicted to drugs. Her mother would threaten to kill me on a family beach trip, just looked at me out of the blue, stared at me with death in her eyes, and said, if you put your hands on my daughter, I will kill you. Perhaps you're addicted to porn. Perhaps you're addicted to drugs. There's something that has happened in your childhood that you, you need to dig deep and figure out what is going on. Um, so that summer of 2014 was when I was really hollowed out emotionally. She began to manipulate my daughter, who was 15 at the time. My daughter, I was very, very close to her. 
but she would alienate me from my daughter for a couple of years. Our son was away at college. I, in the opening, I talked about the large extended family that I have, and I, I'd like to say to your listeners, the mistake that I made is I kept myself on an island. I told nobody about it. And I don't think it had anything to do with pride. For me, I've always enjoyed figuring things out, being very curious by nature, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. I couldn't figure out why she's making these accusations, why I'm starting to see some things mentally with her that I hadn't noticed before. And again, I would chalk up the paranoia and her change in her mental state to her alleged autoimmune disease. But I would later discover um, that, in fact, she was the one with the hidden prescription drug addiction. So this is, what, like 17 years, 18 years into your marriage? Yes, yes. So it's 17 years, 18 years in here. For the most part, as you said at the beginning of your relationship, everything was somewhat normal. As normal as yep. like, you know, there might be little things here and there, but nothing that's going to fly off the shelf and hit you in the head and say like, hey, we got a problem here. Right. So when someone starts accusing you of these things that you know are not true, uh, you're sitting there, you're obviously... Your your world is now like, what the heck is going on? Like, what are you doing? Like, are you able to talk to anyone? How are you internally taking this? And when are you fighting back in the sense of like, what are you talking about? Or Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so absolutely. How, how does that go? And does that work against you? Yeah, I mean, so she started to pull on the lever of trust, right? We never had trust in our marriage and she would leaned way back to when we were on our honeymoon and that I allegedly checked out the waitress, which I did not. I wasn't checking out anybody, but she would start, she would start manufacturing things. And the fact that she would start pulling on the trust piece that, um, I, I did, I, I opened my email to her. I gave her my phone. There was nothing that I, I was hiding nothing. The mistake that I made is I should have said, let me see your phone. Let me have access to your emails. But I, again, I attributed all her accusations to some paranoia, some delusions that can come along with an autoimmune disease. And she had battled a lot of things medically, but I would later figure out why she was having some of the medical symptoms that she was having, as I discovered so much in her medical claims and pharmacy claims after, you know, what I call the third gift, after that revelation was made. But, yeah, I pushed back on it, but, again, I, I told nobody what was going on in the marriage. I confided in no family member, no friend, nobody. I uh, was trying to figure it out on my own, and that that was her ammunition to be able to further gaslight me, really to the point of almost insanity. You see, you Son's away at college. My daughter wants nothing to do with me. I feel like I'm living on an island in my own home. I continue to perform professionally, you know, maintaining my performance at work. Uh, but on the home front, it's like I wasn't sure what accusation or what I was going to be facing anytime I, anytime I came home. However, I don't know if you've ever read the book, I Hate You, Don't Leave Me. Uh, no, no. Yeah, it's an excellent book. But it's when they keep pulling you back in, and right? I guess we call it love bombing. They pull you back in, give you a false sense of hope, false sense of we're going to work out things, things go good for a week or two, and then boom, it should be between the eyes with, with something else. So summer of 2014, we started to go into therapy, um, started to try to work on our communication, but at any time we would go to a therapist that would say something she didn't agree with, we were done with that therapist. Um, and then ultimately, I really became a hollowed-out man, and to add more to it and again there's a lot packed into the a lot packed into the book but in the spring of 2014 i was a pretty good sized boy i went 250 255 in the book i'm very generous and call myself two and a quarter uh, but i as i look back at pictures i was probably closer to 250 260 started working out in the spring of 2014 in less than six weeks and i, I wasn't running marathons i was lifting weights you know three times a week for an hour at a time and I lost 30 pounds in less than six weeks, then 40, then 45. And then I started having some symptoms, some tingling in my fingers, tingling in my toes, uh, joint pain, severe intestinal issues. 
and I was concerned that there was something going on medically. But that ammunition only fueled her story with her mother. Look, he's getting into shape. He's lost a lot of weight. He's looking good. And that's, that's when the drug addiction thing started to be thrown at me. So I started to see a family practitioner because of the symptoms, because of the, the, my concern for all of the weight loss. And they found white blood cell counts were off. Liver enzymes were off. There's another enzyme called creatinine phosphokinase, which was significantly elevated, which is indicative of either a heart attack, a stroke, or a muscle crushing injury. And I had none of those things. And so I'd ultimately be evaluated for leukemia, Alzheimer's, early onset, Lou Gehrig's. They couldn't find anything. Uh, but the weight would continue to pour off. The, the abuse would continue to come in. The abuse would, you know, only intensify with her mother and with her feeling like you're on an island, feeling like, okay, perhaps there's something wrong with me. Um, perhaps this this is my doing. Perhaps I do have a mood disorder, as she would allege that I had a some type of mood disorder. So I ultimately ended up being involuntarily committed. I spent nine days in a psychiatric facility, six days at a dedicated psych hospital with a police transport in between. Um, and that, that came after a hellish weekend where she called the cops on me. Um, I had gone to see a psychiatrist. I had agreed. But it's like, whatever I need to do to kind of keep this marriage together, let me go see a psychiatrist. I'll be happy to talk about whether or not I have a mood disorder or something. Well, believe it or not, in less than 20 minutes, less than a 30-minute appointment with the psychiatrist on one visit, because of the questionnaire that she filled out, um, I was diagnosed with bipolar too. I was misdiagnosed with bipolar, too. Um, but she called the cops on me that weekend, um, and I ended up I ended up being involuntarily committed because I would go, not due to the police, but I would go see my family practitioner the following Monday. My lovely wife at the time was gracious enough to go with me. She relayed the events of the weekend that happened, that, hey, he was just diagnosed with bipolar, he had a couple of beers. He's not supposed to be drinking. I had to call the police, so forth, so on. And uh, he said, sounds like your diagnosis is correct. You have bipolar, and if you don't go to such and such psychiatric hospital, I will have you involuntarily committed. I would later discover, after our journey through the courts and as we're preparing to go through the courts once we separated, that she was writing letters behind my back to the psychiatrist and the family practitioner. They were in my medical records. They never said anything to me about them. And those exact letters verbatim are in the book. So the book is very real and very raw and very, very transparent. So I ended up spending nine days in a, in a psychiatric facility. So it was all sorts of mental abuse, emotional abuse, and it would turn out that everything that she accused me of doing, she was actually doing. So I discovered so much. So once you're in this facility, you're obviously, you know, wondering how did I get here? Yeah. What the heck is going on? And then the other thing within these facilities is you're probably on a floor with people who have some serious problems. Yeah. So you're in and you're literally in an alternative reality because you're now being grouped in with people with some serious mental health issues. Yeah. Are you afraid, um, like deathly afraid of your future in every way? Like, are you thinking to yourself, okay, I'm here to get better and get myself out? Or are you like, I'm screwed? No, I mean, I had the sentiment that exactly you had is how the hell did I get here? You know, how did I, how the hell did I end up here? You know, and, and but I also had the other thought of, okay, we're, this is rock bottom. It can't get any worse. And again, back to the, the, I hate you don't leave me thing is, you know, when I'm in those two facilities for nine days, she wrote me the most beautiful letter I had ever received from her about how much she loved me. And how about she doesn't want to ever see me as emotionally broke as I appeared in the emergency room at the hospital before I was transferred to the psychiatric facility. He gave me a prayer book, gave me a couple of pictures of the kids, and I'm like, okay, 
things are going to be all right. But also to your surroundings, to your point about the surroundings, yeah, I was scared to death. You know, I was in there. It was, it was, I've never been in a psychiatric facility before, but it was overcrowded. Um, it was a mixed group of men, women, young, old, uh, all sorts of walks of life. Um, but it, it was then that I thought, that, okay, I don't, I really began, I, I, I never accepted my bipolar diagnosis. I'm a fairly educated man. Once I got out of that facility, I would get some books to read up on. No, I don't have bipolar. And she never wanted to hear that at home. You know, she never wanted to hear me question that diagnosis. Her mother never wanted me to question that diagnosis. That I simply needed to take my medication and I needed to own it, that I have some issues that I have to work through. But I was scared to death. I was sexually harassed uh, by a gentleman in there. You know, you're taking showers uh, with, not, with the inability to lock doors and you got a little plastic curtain and nine days of sleeplessness, you know. Looking out the window, to your point about an altered reality, looking out the window going, I'm ever going to be able to walk freely again, you know. Uh, Again, it was a long, long nine days. Um, But I thought I'm at rock bottom. We'll get out, see where, you know, she still loves me. We've got some issues we've got to work on. We've got some work to do, but everything's going to be all right. Well, the abuse started. 20 minutes after I got out of the psychiatric facility. And it was more of the, I hate you, don't leave me type stuff. And I was on an emotional yo-yo for six or seven months. Fortunately, my two brothers got involved. Once they found out I was psychiatric, I was in a psychiatric facility. They came to town. I'm telling them, no, nah, don't come to town. But they came to town, and I thank God every day that they did. And uh, I started to let people in. I started to build a support system. Um started to question, again, more things about her and her mental state and the fact that, again, I chalked it up to her autoimmune disease because she had a run of, you know, some medical things that she had to address. And all of my answers would be made clear with the medical claims and pharmacy claims and the discoveries that that I would make. Um, but, yeah, I was, I was scared to death, scared to death. Ultimately, stay in the marriage for another seven months, and then we would separate from there. And uh, the rest is history, as they say, after a long journey through the courts. Um, you know, divorced in 2016, finished up legally in 2018. And when things started coming to light about you, um, first of all, it not being you, and that there were things going on behind the scenes and realizing that, oh, everything that this person is telling me about myself, they are actually doing. When that revelation happens, I assume your mind explodes in the sense of just, it's a twilight zone moment, like because you were living in it. You were living in the twilight zone and then you walk out of it and you see everything for what it really is. Like, you know, shocking is an understatement. It's just one of those moments where your brain tries to compute everything, I assume. And it just goes on overload because how, why? Yeah, your mind, my, my, I mean, your description is very active. My, my mind, my mind exploded, but I also had this sense of emotional relief. And I'm grateful for it every day. I thank the man above for intervening intervening in the marriage. Again, the title of the book is The Third Gift. I'm not giving anything away, but The Third Gift was an accusation. I mean, she made during our first mediation. I'm in one room with my attorney. She's in another room. We got an attorney going back and forth. The accusation that she made was that I gave her herpes. And I, I knew I hadn't been with anybody. Um, my first, my first prayer was, please let me test negative, which I would, I won't get into the complicated journey that, that pursued thereafter and why we needed to get an STD expert involved and so forth, so on. But it was at that point that I'm like, Oh my God, Oh my God, she's been out cheating on me. I'm in the medical field. They dropped the test on the table. I could look at it and go, Oh, that was a DNA test. It's a hundred percent accurate. She has herpes too. And that's when I started to dig into her medical claims and pharmacy claims, there was a sense of, first of all, I wasn't even anger. 
there was no anger. It was a shock. It was dismay. It was the betrayal and the hypocrisy crushed me. But then the gratitude kind of pulled me back up to go, man, you're out. Now you be, you, you're beginning to see parts of the truth. And I would just, I mean, there were so many other shocking discoveries. Not only did she have herpes, but she had pretty much every STD out there. Not only did she have a hidden prescription drug addiction to three different formulations of amphetamines, benzodiazepines, mood stabilizers, but she also used our kids for two years because the doctor she had been seeing behind my back that I had no knowledge of, he ran into trouble with the North Carolina Medical Board and the DEA for inappropriate prescribing of narcotics. So I started to piece the puzzle together. And again, it was just a sense of getting your identity back. I was able to begin to reestablish myself as a father. Ultimately, my daughter would come back into my life as she would see the truth for herself and the ramifications of mom's drug addiction and drug abuse. Um, but yeah, it was, it was it was quite the journey. But mind-blowing for sure, for sure. Yeah, and I don't want to ruin some of the big things that uh, happened So because there are some pretty, pretty crazy things that occurred. Um, so when things are over mm-hmm. and you are trying to figure out like who you are, I guess, again, or, or how you heal from this whole entire thing, where do you begin in this whole process? Because this isn't a, a one year relationship or a two year, this is your whole life. This is the parent to your children. Yeah. And how do you make sense of it all? And then how do you trust other people again? Yeah. I don't think I'll fully ever make sense of it all. I have, you know, enough information to know that, you know, she had, and she's never been officially diagnosed with borderline or cluster B, but, you know, I would, I was in intensive therapy for three years. You know, our, our legal journey was three years in and of itself. And, in the two years of going through hell with her and her mother. It's a long five-year journey. Um, but for me, leaning on my faith, leaning on prayer, therapy, um, being okay with the fact that I'm never going to fully understand all of it. Never gonna, I, there are some things that I don't even know that she was even doing because she destroyed her phone, she destroyed her computers as we headed towards our alimony trial, even though she was under court order to maintain it. Uh, so there's things that I've had to become comfortable with that I don't know who she was running around with. I don't know how many. I don't know who. I'm okay with that. Uh, I've got my freedom back, and I'm, I'm, it took time to get regrounded in just the whole concept that we talked about earlier, that evil is real, and I was sleeping with it. And she was so calculating and wickedly brilliant and manipulative, and it was a perfect, it was a perfect plan. Had she never revealed the herpes, I wouldn't have the answers I have today. So, again, I thank God for that every day for intervening to say, hey, son, your marriage is old, okay? Because going into the first mediation, inexplic- inexplicably, I was still in love with her, hoping that we could work things out and so forth so on, because I didn't I didn't know what was going on with her um, or what was going on with us. But took some intensive therapy, took the therapy for my kids, um, and I simply chalk it up to the fact that she had some underlying issues um, and they were only made worse by her hidden prescription drug addiction. And, you know, got very educated on the, the destructive power of amphetamines and benzos and how it changes the rewiring of her brain and that she'll never come back from it. Um, but I've had no contact with her in over four years. Our kids don't have a relationship with them. They're, they're young adults now building their own lives, but they had to remove mom from, from any type of communication just because they couldn't deal with the toxicity anymore. Um, but I don't, I don't. I don't focus on the what and the how. It's 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 or, or why and how. But I focus on the what. What are the benefits? What are the benefits for me? What are the benefits for the kids? And you know, we've got a new new lease on life and an opportunity to establish life with a new renewed purpose. So, does the, do you when you go back and replay things here or there? Because I'm sure it's not easy to fully break away. There's a lot of trauma involved here. Does it, does this person frighten you in that sense? And are you like in in the sense of 
thinking of like, okay, this person raised our children. Like, that's a scary thought. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's, it's a very scary thought. And again, she was a good wife and a good mother for 17 years. That's the thing I think, Brandon, that boggles my mind is how did she keep all of that bottled up, you know? But, yeah, I mean, I she moved far away. I don't think she could find me if she wanted to, but I've moved to a different state. She doesn't know where I live, but I, I don't I don't fear her. I mean, after what I've been through, I don't I don't fear anything. You know, I, I feel like I've been protected by the man above, and um, living for living for today, and I don't worry about worry about tomorrow. But uh, I you know I do you know when I wrote the book, I wrote it under a pseudonym. Her identity is protected. My identity is protected. The kids, you know, and I did that primarily for the kids and for all the folks that got involved with our journey, uh, just from, a, you know, protect their privacy. But uh, a lot of people are like, you need to out her. You need to, we need to know her name so she doesn't do this to somebody else. But I, I do wonder about that. Do want, I do wonder, I do fear for who might be next in line for this, uh, you know, for this elaborate story. But I sit here with a smile on my face and gratitude in my heart because she had a damn near perfect story. I mean, her story was the same story she, she told me on a watered-down basis about her first husband. He was controlling, he was abusive, he was jealous. Well, that was the story she created about me, controlling, abusive. I'm not allowed to have friends, you know. I mean, it was it was crazy and unfounded, but it was perfect. Because after all, I was diagnosed with bipolar too. I spent nine days in a psychiatric facility. The foundation of her story was solid. And had that herpes never herpes card never been played, I wouldn't have looked at medical claims. I wouldn't have looked at pharmacy claims. I don't know where I'd be today emotionally. I don't know where my relationship would be with my kids today. Um, because after all, who are they going to believe? What What if I tested positive? You know, what if I had tested positive instead of negative? Same situation. Who are we going to believe? Because she went to our kids before I even revealed my negative test results. And she told them, now I've got, unde- she went to our kids, friends, family, her mother, anybody that would probably listen. She's got undeniable proof that I was cheating on her because I gave her herpes. This was before my negative test re- results were revealed. She was certain she had infected me. And that's the only reason she played the card. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't fear her, but I wouldn't want to be in close proximity to her either. So. And I'm relieved that my kids, it's sad to say, but I'm relieved that they don't have a relationship with her. They don't live in close proximity to her either. They haven't seen her in over two years. Um, and I used to, they used to bother me going, how can a, how can a parent abandon, essentially abandon their kid? How can a parent not go to a high school graduation or a college graduation? How could she move out of town 12 hours away two weeks before her daughter graduates from high school? Well, you know, I, don't, I don't marinate on that too much anymore. It's simply what is the benefit to my kids? And she simply couldn't face all those people she lied to. Her network of negative advocates crumbled, and she had to move away and had to reestablish herself somewhere. And are your kids um, in therapy, and how are they doing? There, my son is no longer in therapy. My daughter goes maybe once every three months. She's been in and out of therapy. Her struggle was, you know, going through college years, seeing all of her friends and whatever, seeing the relationships they had with their mothers and their mother's involvement in college and this and that and kind of missing out on that. Uh, she was, I think she was struggling, which still struggles with the, the absence of her mother in her life. But I think she's in a much better place now that she's made, you know, a difficult but adult decision to just block her mother from communication. Um, and they're both they're both doing extremely well. I couldn't be prouder of the choices that they've made, they're building their own lives. They're both gainfully employed, and uh, they seem to be really centered and happy. And I have a very, very close relationship with, with both of them. And do you ever or did you suffer or battle with the idea of, well, the last 20 years of my life, what was real? For a short period of time, I did, you know, um, short period of time. Going, wow. I don't look at it as wasted years. I probably would if I didn't have two kids out of it. 
You know, you certainly would. But I've got two beautiful kids out of it. There's a lot of good that has come out of it. I've established new friendships. I've re-strengthened re old friendships and become much closer to my family and friends. So there's been a lot of good that has come from it. My kids are much closer to their cousins and some of their aunts and uncles than they were previously. Um, but, yeah, there were times that I thought, I don't, I don't even know this woman. I gave everything I had, and I'm not talking financially, but everything emotionally, uh, gave all of myself to this to this individual, and they tried to destroy me. I don't think I put a bow on my medical journey, but ultimately we would figure out the cause of my medical issues, and I would have a positive hair and nail test confirm that I was chronically exposed to arsenic. Um, yeah, and so I would discover that two or three months before our alimony trial began. And by the time I discovered that, it was kind of like, eh, didn't really surprise me after all the other discoveries and all the other shock, mental shocks that I would go through. Um, but, um, yeah, it, just to think of that, that she tried to kill me mm -hmm. on top of everything else. But, yeah, fortunately, I didn't take the protein powder that I believe she was putting it in. I didn't take it every day. I started taking protein powder under the advisement of my son when I began the workouts in the spring of 2014. But, yeah, there was a lot to a lot to take in, a lot to process. Uh, I'm no longer in therapy. I, I will say that any type of PTSD that I had uh, really centered around the young kids in the psychiatric facility that I was with um, because of the fact that they, they would come to me and they were scared to go home. They weren't getting any true therapy or help in there. They're going to be discharged. So I've had some some moments of you know nightmares and them showing up on my porch you know with guns to their head and nothing nothing that i could do about it but that was the most heartbreaking moment for me in the psychiatric facility was seeing these young kids broken and you know made multiple attempts to take their lives so and if you had advice for everyone who's listening or words of wisdom for what they might be going through what would it be i think i think first and foremost um for me, I found solace in the church. I found solace with prayer and with faith, um, leaning on something for strength. The other piece is don't keep yourself on an island. Um, for men, of course, they say it's a pride thing and, and whatever, but for me, it was trying to figure out what, what was going on. But please find someone to talk to. Don't expect them to solve your problems because they can't. You'll have to go through the journey, but they're there to listen. And they're there to provide some sympathy or, or provide for me. I wish I would have had somebody provide an objective perspective that says, well, maybe you should consider that maybe she's cheating on you. My brother did six months, you know, a couple of months prior to us separating. I'm like, nah, nah, she not, she would never cheat on me. And that didn't hit me until the night before our mediation. So I would say confide in somebody, uh, find some time for yourself. I would say journal also your emotions. Journal what you're feeling. For me, I put the anger on paper and got rid of it and let it go. And then the other piece, if you're on the other side of a relationship, cut the emotional ties as quickly as you can. In spite of all that she did to me, it took me two or three years to cut the emotional ties. Um, and the way I was able to do that is I wrote her a lengthy letter laying out all, all of the discoveries that I had made and signed it, Love Closure. But I think the most important thing is is finding someone to confide in, just to be able to vent. Otherwise, you you keep all of that inside, and you really you can get, when they say dig deep, because that was my ex mother in law's famous phrase. You need to dig deep. Well, sometimes you can dig too deep and almost bury yourself. So she pushed me to the edge of of insanity. Really did. Well, your book is called The Third Gift, My Dance with the Devil and Her Mother. And Her Mother, yeah. J.D. McCabe, we can find this book on Amazon. I assume all retailers online, Barnes & Noble in Canada. You can probably find it at Indigo. Yes. Um, and I assume Walmart and all the online stores. Do you have, um, do you have a website? I do, thethirdgift.com. Folks who are interested in learning more about my story, they can find me on Instagram at the third gift, on TikTok at the third gift. The book is also available as an audio book, 
So I narrated it and audio ebook hardcover. So it's available in, in most of the most of the platforms. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today, with sharing your story, sharing your knowledge. We're just happy that you're safe, that your kids are safe, and you've been through a lot. So really a big thank you for sharing with us today. Thank you, and I, I really appreciate it. I think your platform is tremendous. Keep doing the good work. Thank you so much, J.D., once again, for being a guest on our show. And if you want to be a guest on our Survivor Story episodes, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com, top of the page. There's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. Please read all the instructions and send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or just fill out our Guest Form page and, and press the Submit button. If you want to join our support group to get support, if you need support, everyone, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com as well. Top of the page, press the support group button. It takes you to our very own safe social network. We have uh, on there forum boards. We have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night and Saturday night and every other Thursday afternoon. We also have ad-free episodes and we have episodes that never made it to air. And if you just want to support our show, please do join our support group. It helps It helps out the show a lot. I fumbled over my words there. And if you need even more support, please do go to our friends at DomesticShelters.org. It's a great organization. They can help you find shelters. They can help you with free articles and resources. They can do a lot of things for you. So please do go to our friends at DomesticShelters.org. And now that is it for our show. So for myself and J.D. McCabe, we hope you have a good night. Good night.